Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is The Takeaway. I'm John Hockenberry. Thanks so much for listening. The Constitution protects citizens from an overreaching government. It guarantees a presumption of innocence, a fair trial, the right to face your accusers, the right to an attorney, the right to a jury of your peers, a speedy trial even, and a prohibition against cruel and unusual punishments. But the U.S. Constitution also understands that in the time it takes between an arrest and trial, the government still wields incredible power over the people. So in the Eighth Amendment, excessive bail shall not be required. That's the one explicit limitation on the government's power to hold people after an arrest. Bail is supposed to be the way the government can guarantee a defendant's appearance at trial without having to hold them in jail. Put down money, get it back when you show up. In practice, bail has become in many jurisdictions a way of holding people behind bars indefinitely, where their presumption of innocence is eroded where defendants are compelled to plead guilty and where, in some heartbreaking cases, the price for holding out for a trial to prove your innocence becomes the loss of years of freedom, a life destroyed. The Khalif Browder case in New York City has forced the city and state to take a whole new look at the bail system. Browder was held at Rikers Island for three years for allegedly stealing a backpack. His bail was set at an out-of-reach $3,000, and for three years awaiting trial, He suffered abuse and extensive solitary confinement after his release when the charges were dropped. Browder committed suicide last month. We begin our series this week on the bail system called Presumption of Innocence for Sale by looking at cases like Browder's. In March of 2006, Kenneth Fomby Jr. was arrested for sodomy, kidnapping, false use of a credit card, and robbery. Kenny was 19 years old at the time, living in Pinson, Alabama. Kenny turned himself in, maintaining an innocence that was confirmed by fingerprint analysis. But the prosecutor and the judge decided to wait for DNA evidence to come back before he was released. And so they set his bail at $2 million and held him for over six months in Jefferson County Jail. Kenny Fomby says even though he was confident of his innocence, an innocence that was confirmed, while he was in jail, he could do nothing but watch his young life slip away, a week at a time. At the end of the day, I don't think there could have been anything worse. I came down under the impression, let's just talk to a detective. When I got down there to talk to the detective, they immediately started processing me. I didn't understand that because we didn't have a conversation. And they told me what my bond, my charges was. I turned around. I was like, is it okay for me to go outside and think about this first? No, you are arrested. I was arrested as they brought me in. They were clapping and said, we got you blank words now. Uh, We got you now, and I asked for my phone call. About four hours later, they let me have a phone call, hung up the phone, and I slammed the phone down, and immediately the riot police comes, and within five hours being in jail, I was in medical infirmary part where I was beaten severely and sent to solitary confinement. My dad's a pastor, and he was able to get pastoral visits. First time he saw me was a week later. They went. Nobody ever heard from me. After I turned myself in, there was word. When they came to saw me on the pastoral visit with my lawyer, they was like, you have to be quiet and shut your mouth or they're going to kill you in here. That's what your dad said? Yes. What did you think about in the jail? I was thinking about how how do you get here? Uh, I repeated it over and over. I'm innocent. Uh, 
which a lot of people say in there. No one would believe me or take me seriously, but eventually they did give me the privilege to go to the law library. So I, I spent a lot of my time in the law library. I fought my own case. Uh, I did have legal representation, paid representation, but it, nobody was moving as fast as I wanted them to move. So uh, I filed my own speedy trials, which got denied four times because I didn't want to wait for DNA. I kept asking to go to trial without DNA. I have enough evidence bagging me. I'm on camera somewhere else. My cell phone records show me somewhere else. So I don't need DNA to exonerate me. It's their job to prove it, that I did it. They wouldn't let me go. Did you ever, um, in those moments alone in the cell or in solitary, after you'd been beaten, did you ever think to yourself, maybe, I'm, maybe I am bad, maybe I, maybe I am wrong, maybe, maybe this is my fault? The mental strain that it puts on you, you question everything. You question God. You question yourself. You question life. And is life worth living if this is what life is going to give me and take away from me? The only thing I could understand that would be even worse than that would literally being convicted and be, uh, you know, the story with Khalif Browder, someone that would actually have to spend two years. I did seven months, thank God. And if it wasn't for, you know, my faith and, and my family, I, I would have made it myself. Uh, I had been a therapist for over two years straight, and it still hurts. It hurts to know that I'm, I could not control my future. And the basic American dream to me was a ransom of $2 million. You know Khalif's story? Yes. How close did you come to that? Twice. Twice where I had uh, I had someone actually step in, and if they wasn't there, I wouldn't be here either. What happened? Uh, I mean, frankly speaking, I tried to take my life. Uh, I tried to hang myself, and it was just because I, I was alone. I was alone and hurting, hurting and alone because it's too much of a mental toll and the demons you got to fight. It's not fair, but hey, I'm glad I'm still here and I really feel bad for, you know, Mr. Browder because if someone was there, it could have, you know, maybe saved him. And I feel like people don't look at that. You have altered my life and I'm here. But you altering other people's lives, my family, my parents, my children. You're impacting everybody. And that's, I felt I was more of a problem than I was of any help. So why be here? Why hurt the people I love? Because I can't catch a break. So there's no way to be innocent in this situation. I wish it was. And that's the way it's written up. But with the way that it's not, you are guilty and you need to prove your innocence. What were the circumstances uh, or when did you ever get to say, either in open court or to somebody in any kind of authority, I didn't do this. Here's the evidence. Did you get that chance? They didn't give that chance. I took that chance. To be honest, uh, 
because my case was so high profile for the reason we had the cameras there, media, and it was just literally, you're not getting a chance to speak or anything. After six months and about seven days, they told me that my next court date was about six months away. And that was literally going to take me there for a whole year. That's where I snapped. I snapped in court. I told my lawyer, I want to go to trial next week. But I'm not going to sit here and continue to wait when I know I have fingerprints and video evidence showing me somewhere else. I'm not waiting five months for it to come back in front of court. Told the judge, I'm not going to just sit here and be quiet anymore. I deserve to be in court tomorrow. If you come to work tomorrow, I'll be in court tomorrow. I'll be here every day. I'm not going to continue to keep going back with Johnny. And you going home and everybody else is going to just act like this is nothing. I, I took that chance. The judge graciously said, uh, son, you need to calm down. Would you like to hug your parents? And he gave me the opportunity to take me out of shackles and hug my mom and dad. And I came from out of there. I spoke to the lawyer and the judge, and I said, you gave me a $2 million bomb, which is abnormal. It's not regular. Uh, the capital murder cases, I saw people walk out at 160000 As I came back in the court, I said, this is exactly what needs to happen. You write to Montgomery and say, I understand your docket, or I understand how your process works, but we do have a high-profile case here, and the only thing that's keeping this young man in jail is DNA results. Because we did not give him a $2 million bond, we gave him a $2 million bond and gave him no chance to be able to make it. Well, you give me the chance to exonerate myself faster. So what I'm essentially asking is make me a priority just like you made a priority to keep me here. Don't let it be a seesaw where it's out, out of balance. Let it be even on an even scale. And if I get a $2 million bond, I should not have to wait. 18 months or a year for DNA results because of the severity of the bond you put me under. So in one week, that lady still, I have that letter at my house now. She wrote and said, I will put him at the top. Within five days, she sent back the results. But in her letter, she said, it's not official. It did not come out back as him. The certified mail came through, and that morning they had an emergency hearing and let me out. But they let me out on bond, so they dropped the five hundred thousand dollars per charge from two million to five thousand dollars per charge to twenty thousand, and I still had the charges on me until six months. But they never prosecuted, right? No, they dismissed it without prejudice about ten months after I initially got the charges, but took me away from my job. I did lose the contract on my house. My identity was stolen. Uh, when they let me out, the first place I had to go was all the way back to my old college jail because someone had broken into my dorm room and stole my checks and was writing bad checks. So the first thing I did was was released into Calhoun County's uh, custody for me to go all the way, uh, two hours away, to go back to jail after being here for seven months to explain to you how I didn't buy 20000 dollars of things at Walmart because I have receipts from being in jail for the last seven months. There's no way I could be in two places writing checks. So I had to fight that case immediately. Um, you were 19 when you were arrested, is that right? 19, I turned 20 in there. How important 
are those months and what did you lose that you couldn't get back or can't get back? I want to say that I can't get everything back because it has only developed me to be who I am. Is Like I said earlier, I could be just like Khalif, considering the circumstances. But since I have an opportunity, I've still beaten heart and I'm still a good person. It didn't take my character away. I believe I can get everything back. What I lost during the time, temporarily, I lost a whole lot of security. Uh, I lost a little faith in humanity. Personally lost any patience that came with just being fair and balanced. Uh, I have no tolerance for it. And it's a paperwork trail for me that I have to live with. Regardless of what I'll ever get back, I'm going to have to take the time to explain myself for something I have not done. For the rest of your life? For the rest of my life. Kenny Fomby is now 28 years old. He lives with his wife and children in Pinson, Alabama. Tomorrow, we continue our look at the bail system by looking at Washington, D.C., where they've taken money entirely out of bail. Cliff Keenan is director of the Pretrial Services Agency in Washington. This is a quote from Robert Kennedy over 50 years ago. What has been made clear today is that our present attitudes towards bail are not only cruel, but really completely illogical. What has been demonstrated here is that usually only one factor determines whether a defendant stays in jail before he comes to trial. That factor is not guilt or innocence. It is not the nature of the crime. It is not the character of the defendant. That factor is simply money. How much money does the defendant have? That's tomorrow in our series, Presumption of Innocence for Sale.